It is so great to be with you here today. As Matt said, my name is John, and uh, it is so cool to see from an outsider's perspective what God has done and what God is doing at Park Community Church. Uh, it's just incredible to see uh, what God is doing here, and I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to my family. My, uh, my wife and other child are not here because, as Matt said, uh, my youngest child was born this Tuesday, uh, so she's all five days old, and just so you're aware, I did talk this over with my wife before. <laughs> I didn't just leave her at home and abandon her. We, we talked about this weeks ago and had specific dates. If the baby's born after this date, I'm not going to preach at Park, and so the baby fell into that perfect little window. Um, but uh, this little cutie on the right-hand side there is my oldest daughter, Chloe. She's here with me this morning. She's in the nursery. Uh, that's my wife, Dina, and our youngest daughter, McKenna, on the side there. Uh, we're just so glad that we can be here with you today, and I'm so thankful that over the last uh, number of months and years, I've been able to get to spend time with and get to know Andrew and get to know Matt and uh, some of the other staff and leadership here at Park, and uh, it's, it's just so, so cool to be here. Some things in life come with a hidden cost. This past July, my wife and I went on vacation to uh, Tacoma, Washington, and one of the main reasons we went to Tacoma was because that was the cheapest flights we could find to a non-desert city. Because no one wants to go from hot and humid Minnesota to a desert in July, so we found these cheap plane tickets, and uh, for the sake of the story, I won't share the uh, name of the airline that we traveled, but we thought, oh, we got these wonderful deals on these tickets, and as we start the booking process, we realize, oh, okay, so it's the cost of the tickets, plus if, they, if you just accept the seats that they provide for you, it's an additional $3 per person. But then if you want to upgrade your seating to closer to the front of the plane or a different spot, it's $5, $10, $20, $30, $40 per person to upgrade these tickets. In addition to this, they charged us for not just our check bag, but also for any carry-on luggage that we had. And all of a sudden, we're like, these cheap plane tickets aren't turning out quite as cheap as we thought, because there was a hidden cost that was involved. How many of you here today own a home? Raise your hand. How many of you who own a home pay less for your home than you anticipated before you purchase your home? <laughs> okay, there's all kinds of hidden costs that come along with being a homeowner. When you go on Zillow and you look at the house and it's saying, oh, this house is only going to cost you $700 a month for your mortgage. But then you add the taxes and you add the insurance and you add the utilities and internet and all the stuff that comes with owning a home. You realize, oh my goodness, it's twice as much as I thought it was going to be. Have you ever downloaded an app and uh, went to go use some of the features that you downloaded the app for and realize when you click on it, it says, if you want to use this feature, you need to upgrade to the paid version of this app. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of things in our life that we experience that come with hidden costs. And this morning, I'd like to spend some time thinking with you about one of the hidden costs that comes with kingdom advancement. And that's the hidden cost, the emotional cost of sending. I come from a smaller church. Centennial is about 110, 115 people, including adults and kids. And we've been thinking about this a lot. Because as we, as we look at sending people out for the revitalization efforts at Elmwood, we're realizing that as, as a small church where relationships are typically more tightly knit than in a larger church, uh, there's, a, there's a resource, there, there's a kind of cost that comes with the money and the people uh, but it's the emotional cost of sending people that you love and care about. 
that's sometimes more costly than the physical resources. And you, you guys know this because you guys are in the midst of this right now. You guys have Linnea who's being sent out to Guatemala. You have Clint and Christina who are being sent out to Africa. You have two of your community groups that are planning on multiplying. And I know that for some of you who are in those groups, that's a terrifying thought because you're thinking, I've built relationships with these people. I love these people. I care about these people. And now things are going to be different. There's an emotional cost that comes with sending, an emotional cost that comes with gospel advancement. And it's a cost that's in, that, that comes both on those who are sending as well as those who are being sent. Sometimes that cost is, you, you, you think about, these are people who have been in my home. These are people that they watch my kids in the nursery. And thinking about sending people away for a gospel advancement opportunity in a different place is hard. There's an emotional cost to sending. As we think about this emotional cost of sending this morning, I just, I just want to make really clear that the message this morning is not a recruitment message for Elmwood. I would love that if the end of the message this morning, that we all, every single person sitting in this room, would come to see that the cost of obedience to Jesus and his mission is worth it. And if the Holy Spirit would stir some of you to want to come to Elmwood, great. But the reality is that most of you are staying here at Park. So as we think about the text today, this chapter 20 of Acts, I'd like to put this in the context of the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us about the advance of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit in the early years of the church. And in the beginning portion of the book, we meet a man named Saul, who's a Jewish man who hates Christians. And he doesn't hate Christians because there's some other religion that is sort of a hostile threat to his religion. He hates Christians because Christians are claiming that Jesus, this crucified man, is the fulfillment of, he is the Jewish Messiah. So Paul hates Christians, and he spends his life persecuting and imprisoning and even killing Christians. We read that God miraculously intervenes in his life, and all of a sudden Paul, who has spent so many years trying to stamp out this missionary endeavor of the Christians, finds himself on mission with the Christians. And so the story of the book of Acts is in large part the story of the Apostle Paul traveling through the, the known Roman world at the time and establishing churches and developing leaders. And, and that's what we see in the epistles. If you read the letters, those are Paul's correspondence with these different churches. Paul, we know, had very close travel companions who went with him almost wherever he went, and he built very strong relationships with the people in the churches where he served. And you can, you can read, uh, read the last chapter, read chapter 16 of Romans, which is nothing but Paul saying, say hi to this person and this person and this person and this person and this person. And you're like, oh my goodness, this guy travels everywhere and he knows everybody. So Paul is not just traveling from place to place, but he's building deep commitments and deep relationships with these followers of Jesus that he is working with. And one of the places that Paul stays longest in his ministry is the city of Ephesus. He stays there for three years, preaching the gospel, investing in people. And so Paul knows that he is being called to go back to Jerusalem, so he goes on from 
Ephesus into Greece and Macedonia, and then on his way back, he knows that this is going to be the last time he's going to see these elders of the Ephesian church. And so he calls them, as the text tells us, from Miletus to come, calls him from Ephesus to meet him in Miletus, which is a, about a 40-mile walk. So that's the, that's the equivalent distance of walking from where we sit today to Hudson, Wisconsin. So Paul calls them, and they spend an entire day's journey traveling to meet Paul, where he says goodbye to them. And that's the story that we pick up here this morning. And as we look at the text, I just want to make, I want to make four observations about what the Apostle Paul does, what we see him doing in our passage today. The first observation is this, that we see Paul was faithful where God planted him. This is so clear. Look starting in verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared both to Jews and Greeks that, it must, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here that Paul served faithfully in the midst of strong opposition. We see also that Paul spoke what was profitable. You hear him saying, I've not, I've not hesitated to speak anything that would be profitable to you. And you see him doing this both in a public setting as well as in house-to-house relationships. So he's, he's building and investing in deep friendships and relationships with these people. We see also that he shared the gospel with all kinds of people. He spoke the word of the gospel that they should repent and turn to God in faith to both Jews and to Greeks. We see that he saw his life's worth in relationship to the advance of the gospel. In verse 24, Paul says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Not only this, we see that Paul set a pattern using his own life. Look starting in verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must, keep, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul set a pattern using his own life. So this is, this is telling us about the faithfulness of Paul in where he was planted. Now, you've got to think that the Apostle Paul is probably, I bet it was hard for him to stay faithful where he was planted. Because this is someone who sees the harvest field, someone who sees the need for gospel advancement where it, there is no gospel. And for him to stay in one place for three years. Have you ever been in a job transition? And you're coming up to the end of your time at this job or you know you're going to quit or you're going back to school. And do you ever find it hard to, to carry through all the way to the end? Or do you find yourself saying, I'm only going to be here for another week. I'm just going to slack off and take it easy. 
Maybe for some of you, you, you recognize the old senior slide. You're coming up to summertime, you're graduating from high school or college, and it's like, I'm almost done, I'm just going to coast and get this thing done with. Maybe you live in an apartment complex, and you're saying, you know, one day I hope to own a house. I'm not going to go out of my way to build relationships with people. I'm not going to go out of my way to, you know, do all this stuff for these people. I'm, I'm not going to be here forever. It can be hard to be faithful where we're planted. And yet this is the example that the Apostle Paul sets for us. Can I just ask, to what degree, to what degree are these things true of us? This isn't apostle, super-Christian stuff here. To what degree does the things that characterize Paul's ministry, to what degree do those characterize our lives? So we see that Paul was faithful where God planted him. Not only this, we see that Paul followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look, starting in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So, Paul is both faithful where God planted him, and at the same time, he's also ready to leave at a moment's notice when the Holy Spirit calls him somewhere else. And notice that Paul doesn't say, you know, I'm thinking about it, I'm weighing my options. He's compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. And even, and even such that he doesn't even know where he's going or what's going to face him there. This, this, this going without knowing what's going to happen is a biblical pattern that was started back in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls a man named Abram. And he says to him, go from your country and from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. In other words, I'm not going to tell you where you're going, just go. The only thing that you need to know is that I'm going to bless you and that through you, I'm going to bring blessing to the nations. You see the same pattern with Paul. He says, I I, I go not knowing what's going to happen to me, but what I know is that God has been faithful to me and that through me, God is advancing his gospel in another place. And so Paul is not only faithful where he's planted, he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, Paul was aware of the spiritual battle that was ahead. You hear him saying, I know that persecution and hardships are in front of me. You also hear him telling the elders of the church in Ephesus in verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So Paul's saying, not only is my future going to be full of difficulty, He says something that's kind of terrifying, isn't it? In your local church, wolves will come in and try and make a mess of things. And it gets even worse than that. Not only people are going to come from the outside, but there are people from within your church who are going to rise up as wolves and try and tear you apart. So Paul recognized something here 
Whether you go or whether you stay, gospel ministry is never safe. Whether you go or whether you stay, gospel ministry is never safe. So Paul was faithful where he was planted. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was aware of the spiritual battle ahead. And Paul was willing to pay the emotional cost. It's very clear that there's a physical cost to Paul. And if you read places like 2 Corinthians 11, you can hear more of the physical toll that ministry actually took on his physical body. But what I think gets often overlooked is the emotional cost of building so many relationships only to leave and have those relationships never be the same again. In verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed. Have you ever looked someone in the eye and said goodbye knowing it would be the last time? If it's a friend or family member or parent, sibling, and every time you said goodbye, you knew that there was a chance that this is the last time I'll ever say goodbye to them. That's the kind of emotional toll that faithful obedience to Jesus' mission plays on us in the church. There's always a kind of death associated with faithful obedience to Jesus, Jesus and his mission. Friends, whether you stay here at Park or whether you send, whether you go, there's a kind of death that you will go through to be obedient to Jesus and his mission. In our remaining time, I want to just highlight a couple takeaways. And these are going to be in line with what we've seen here. They're going to parallel these. Paul was faithful where God planted him. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was aware of the spiritual battle, and he was willing to pay the emotional cost. So what do we take away from this? First, we should be all in until God calls us somewhere else. We should be all in until God calls us somewhere else. Some of you sitting in this room might either come to Elmwood or be sent out some other place. But the vast majority of you will be here faithfully laboring at Park Community Church for as long as you, as long as you can foresee. And can I just say, getting to know Andrew and seeing what God has done here at Park, there, there, there are you, some of you sitting in this room who have decades of faithful ministry where God has planted you here at Park. And, and I'm sure that he doesn't say it as much as he probably wants to or should, but I, I hope you guys know that Andrew, Andrew loves you so much. And there are some of you here who have left a legacy of gospel ministry laboring in this church family, and you are a gift to Park. Some of you are newer to this church family in the last couple years or even the last couple months. 
You're still trying to get connected. You're still trying to learn the ropes and figure everything out. You're building your legacy now. The legacy that we build is the accumulation of our smallest decisions. And so friends, whether you have been here for 40 years or whether you have been here for four months or four weeks, would you be all in here until God calls you somewhere else? Let me just ask the question, in what ways do you sense God calling you to be all in at Park? In what ways do you sense God calling you to be all in at Park? Maybe for some of you, that's in the area of service. You say, you know, I've been here for however long, and I'm, you know, I sort of show up on Sundays for gatherings, but I'm not really serving anywhere. I'm not really contributing or doing anything. Is God calling you to step up and serve in some capacity? Let me tell you what would make Andrew or any of the staff or elders at Park so happy is to have people come up to them and say, what are the needs and how can I serve? Maybe it's in the area of giving. Maybe you've been here, maybe you're even serving, but you're, you're, you're not contributing financially towards the mission of what God is doing here at Park Community Church. Maybe God's calling you to invest your money in gospel ministry here in this place to be faithful where you're planted. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's not the serving or the giving. Maybe it's being invested in the mission of, church, of this church and making disciples in the form of being invested in community, being connected to community groups, being, being in, invested in relationships, where you're living on mission together with gospel intentionality. What, what's the way that God is calling you to be fully planted here at Park until he calls you somewhere else. We should be all in until God calls us somewhere else. We should be willing to follow the need. That's what we see Paul doing. The Holy Spirit is compelling Paul to go somewhere else because there is a greater need for gospel advancement in a different place. And so maybe that's some of you here today. There's an incredible need and an incredible opportunity at some place like Elmwood. Within a three-mile radius of Elmwood, there's 100,000 people. There's 15,000 children that are grade school age. And there's almost zero evangelical presence. But I, I, don't need to, I don't need to belabor the revitalization point here because this is in you guys' DNA. You guys know what it's like. You know what it's like to have a church that's labored faithfully in gospel ministry for decades, who's rooted and, and is established in the community, and you know what it's like to have a younger church who maybe has some, some momentum and some energy that maybe the aging church didn't have and seeing that come together and look at what God has done. You guys know what this is like. And so maybe for some of you here today, you're saying, you know, I, I've been through this, we've seen what God has done, and I want to see this happen again. There's an opportunity for that. So is the Holy Spirit calling you to go? Is he stirring you to consider going? That doesn't mean, it, I'm not saying you're either all or nothing, either you have to commit your life or you, you can't be a part of it. Maybe the first step is I'm going to, go down to Alfred's Hall and be a part of the Q&A this morning. I want to I learn more. Maybe there's a, a, another way. Maybe it's 
not by going personally, but there's a capacity or a resource that you can contribute towards something like Elmwood. And you say, you know, I, I can't, I don't feel God calling me to go personally, but there's ways that I want to invest in something like that. How is the Holy Spirit stirring you to follow the need? We should abandon the illusion of safety and comfort. Some of you might be here asking, you know what, why should I go? Things are good here, I'm comfortable, I have my friends, I, have, you know, I like things here. Why would I want to go? Why would I want to change things up? Friends, can I just say that whether you are going to Elmwood or whether you're staying here, gospel ministry is waging war against the kingdom of darkness. And if we're doing it right, it's never safe and it's never comfortable. So there is no safe, comfortable option here. <laughs> there might be an option that's easier, but there is not an option that's safer. <clears throat> Lastly, we should grieve the cost and embrace the opportunity of gospel advancement. We should grieve the cost of what it takes to see the kingdom advanced. And can I just say, the leadership at Park gives you permission to grieve. Whether that's some of these couples that are being sent out globally, whether that's Matt and a group that's being sent out to Elmwood locally, whether that's a community group in your own church that's just multiplying, your elders and your leaders want you and want us as a church family to grieve well. Because there, there's a tension with this, right? There, there's a tension of, we should be excited about this. We should be thrilled about this, and we are, and yet there's relational, there's relational cost. And so your leadership wants you both to be excited and to be sad at the same time and to grieve well what it costs for gospel advancement. But also, we, we should be willing to embrace the opportunity that comes. Because some of you, maybe if, if you're sending out someone to Elmwood or in your community group, that, you, that you're thinking, you know, I just, they're, they're, they're my friend, I don't want to miss this relationship. What that does, by sending someone out, gives you a capacity relationally that you didn't have before. So instead of thinking about this only as we're sending people out, we're losing people, look at this as, who's God going to bring my way next? I have, I have capacity for this person relationally in my life, and I've seen how God has used this person, I've seen how God has used me in their life, we've seen what God has done. Who's another person that maybe God is bringing your way to have that same kind of relationship with next? We need both to grieve the cost and embrace the opportunity. So friends, gospel advancement is costly. There's just no, there's no way of getting around that. It's costly. So the question is, why do we do it? And as we come towards the table today, it is so clear why we do it. Because sending is the heart of God, and sending reveals the heart of God in us.
You look at the scripture and you see the story of God so loving the world that he sent his son who lived in perfect obedience to God the Father, who fully delighted in him with his whole heart, mind, and strength. And he went to a Roman cross, and as he hung on the cross, what did he cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father turned his back on God the Son so that he could turn his face towards us. And in that way, God absorbed the relational pain of sending. This reveals the heart of God. And sending reveals the heart of God in us. A willingness for us to take on the cost of sending demonstrates that we have been changed by a sending God. So friends, this morning, my encouragement to you is, my prayer for us is that we would all, every single one of us in this room, whether we're going or whether we're being sent, we would see that the cost of obedience to Jesus and his mission is worth it. When we understand what it costs the Father to send the Son, that he sent him for us, that will make us delighted to send other people to. As we come to the table this morning, we celebrate that God did send his Son and that his Son died for us making it possible for us to have a renewed relationship with God the Father.